Como estas, the Thack Daddy experience. Uh, of course, I've been MIA, but, you know, familial health issues, COVID, the apocalypse, and all the happy stuff that's going on in the world uh, aside, uh, I'm breathing. I'm doing okay. I hope all of you are well. Wherever you are and whoever you are, I hope you're surviving good. So I'm just going to talk about or specifically ramble about Avatar The Last Airbender, the animated series. Uh, They put it on Netflix, so, you know, rewatched it after some time. And I think one of the reasons it's probably one of the best animated shows in the U.S. is because of the layers of the show. It confronts a lot of interesting dynamics, both in group family and friend dynamics and then you know just the civilization at large Uh, what I mean by that last portion of the statement is specifically when you examine the fire nation and their intentions and you see a certain kind of zeal and a certain kind of neo patriotism or just flat out fascistic patriotism meaning the whole thing kicked off because one of the fire lords or the or the 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 grandfather fire lord to Ozai and if I'm wrong forgive me he was friends with the previous avatar to Aang and he believed that the fire nation was the greatest nation in the world so his notion was that if every nation was like the fire nation then the entire world would be as would be great so he chose to implement this by attacking murdering conquering and subjugating every other nation just so that they could experience the joy and wonder of those types of events that was sarcasm (laughs) the point being if you wanted to make a real world parallel to it you could easily say that oftentimes when totalitarians fascists or dictators emerge the tendency is to think we are the superior nation and we know what's best for everyone and that attitude whether it's in a family in a relationship in a friendship or expressed globally tends to lead to fascistic and totalitarian behavior and even the journeys of some of the characters are impacted by or all the journeys of all the characters really are impacted by this notion that the Fire Nation should be the supreme nation, so to speak. So, when you're looking at uh, one is, but because he 
wouldn't engage in the kind of disgusting behavior that was expected of him from his treacherous and murderous father. He was scarred in combat with said father and then ostracized uh, because basically the Avatar went missing and the Fire Nation really didn't rest until they could locate and kill the Avatar because then there would be no impeding their global dominance. So you have this father-child relationship that's impacted by fire nation ideology and in turn it shapes and molds this young man into thinking that the only way he could get love from his father is to be as treacherous and disgusting as his father uh, obviously if you follow the series you know that this particular character has a lot of internal turmoil and conflict and we see this in various phases of the show particularly the episode where he uh, helps an earth nation family defeat some people who are who are attacking and bothering them and then he's ostracized for being fire nation and his identities see this when and he's in the cave with Katara in the Earth Nation arc where he reveals a more sensitive and kind side and it's his indecisiveness on declaring whether he wants to be on the side of his family and whether he wants to lead like they do and be as they are if he wants to strike out on his own journey he goes so far as to betray his uncle who is his steadfast companion throughout the majority of the show and it's pretty bad uh, his uncle gets imprisoned and He's always tried to guide the young man to the right path. So you see that he finally decides to do the right thing. But what interests me the most in, in the storytelling is that setup is that within the familial context, individuals are always trying to satisfy someone else's worldview. And ultimately, either they will strike out on their own or they won't. But the process itself is painful because you want the acknowledgement, you want the love, you want the support. But at the same time, you don't want to go against what you feel is right in your own heart. And that divisiveness and that conflict can oftentimes lead individuals to make poor decisions. And I think that you see what some or many consider to be the redemption of this character is that he finally accepts that this is not the way that he wants to live of course along the way he made some terrible terrible choices and you know i think the majority of the fans of the series have forgiven the character but 
you know, destroying people's homes, harming people, beating them up, you know, just kind of rampaging in pursuit of this avatar when really the pursuit was in the knowledge of yourself as yourself. It's interesting that people do forgive certain characters in certain circumstances. And the thing is, in the real world, in the current world, um, forgiveness is uh, not come upon very easily, if at all. We've all become tribunals. We've taken on George Orwell's Two Minutes Hate and... I've even seen people when they watch the news, they they curse at the screen and they yell at the person and you you know you're a terrible person, you're awful and and uh the circumstances surrounding the events, they tend to get blurred. I mean this in a very general sense. They also get blurred sometimes when what's occurring is blatant. The issue being how capable are we as human beings in a modern age of assessing a situation and not compounding and worsening it with our own prejudice and judgment? And ultimately, a great deal of how we perceive the world mirrors how we perceive ourselves, or more specifically, how we view the world is a reflection of how we view ourselves. So anything that doesn't fit into our view of ourselves and and exist in the world is problematic for us. Um, that's a great statement to apply to Zuko as a Fire Nation prince. Anyone who did not allowed themselves to be subjugated to the fire nation was subsequently destroyed so the idea of the other as something to be subjugated conquered or destroyed is a long-standing human notion because the other represents something that generates fear in us we perpetually try to create a notion of safety and sanity by replicating and duplicating patterns of behavior and calling it civilization um, and yet depending on the time and the circumstances these things can be upended and upended relatively quickly so I'll have more to say about Zuko at another time I'm just like I said rambling about Avatar I also found it interesting that some of the darker impulses of uh, the main cast in Avatar, like Katara seeking to find the man who murdered her mother, only to find that he was a burnout loser who was taking care of his sick mother and wanted to die anyway. That he was a really sad and pathetic person and she didn't even feel compelled to end his life just by literally seeing how pathetic his life actually was. Uh, it's some form of catharsis. She'll never get her mother back. She'll never get to be with her and experience her. But at the same time, you see that she gets to see that not everything is black and white. And I'm not saying if it was you 
whoever you are, that you might not have just taken that individual's life for the vengeance. But what I am saying is that there's billions of us, and in the entire history of the planet, there have been billions of us. And just to accept that there are billions of different perspectives on any given thing means that there are billions of realities within the sphere of the one reality that we inhabit globally. There's multitudinous realities, multitudinous perspectives, perspectives that may or may not validate your perspective on the world, which is just a reflection of your perspective of yourself. So, other things that I I noticed upon this reviewing of the show was the family dynamic with Toph and her family, how they perceived her as weak and you know needing to be cared for because she was blind and yet her blindness wasn't a weakness in any way shape or form she was quite capable quite powerful and even when her family saw her in that that earthbending ring and she defeated all the other earthbenders and her father sitting next to her earthbending teacher saying to him did you know about this and like the earthbending teacher said she's the greatest earthbender that I have ever seen in my entire life and when she gets home her parents aren't mad and he but the father goes no you, you're you're helpless you're a little girl you can't do anything uh, I'm not really going to allow you to do anything We'll just take care of you. And you can see that that broke her heart. And the funny thing is within that little story, the blind person is not the person who is literally blind in the sense of how we can define blindness. Within the context of the story, the father is blind because he's incapable of seeing who his daughter actually is. And he only sees her as he chooses to see her. So the reality he chooses to see mirrors his perceptions, meaning he perceives her as weak, therefore she must be weak. He's not actually merely observing her as she is and becoming aware of who she is just by observation. He's foregoing that in favor of literally being blind to who she is in favor of his own fear and his own perception of the world being an absolute Um Perceptions are fleeting, thoughts are always changing, everything from our physical bodies to the world around us is in perpetual flux and change, so to deny change to any degree is to deny reality, and yet human beings are harbingers of denial. I found that interesting, that he was truly blind to his daughter's strength and her ability, even though it was definitively demonstrated in front of him this is something that you see through with human beings all the time uh, in situations that are society damaging and in just day-to-day situations where clearly something's wrong and yet you you see people say i didn't see that so really what do we mean by seeing because obviously the vast majority of what we 
say we see is actually just mirroring ourselves. And this mirroring goes to every level. The technology we utilize just mirrors neurological and biological functions in our body. Whether it's communicating with the internet or even the telephone, uh, utilizing vehicles. It's like cells moving around in your body and blood traveling through your veins. There go your highways um, or cameras, you know, like the eye, like the human eye. So this mirroring goes on often. But the question remains, what do we actually see outside of what we filter through our own sense of self? Anyway, um, other dynamics I find interesting was the dynamic that no one seemed to understand, which because Aang was a monk, his cultural upbringing, while not familiar, still had a familiar context. His it, being a monk made or made him sensitive to the idea of violence. He was playful. Uh, which reflected his air element, and he was also comical, um, but extraordinarily sensitive. And even though he was fully aware of all of the atrocities that the world experienced at the hands of Fire Lord Ozai, he still did not want to kill him. He still felt that it wasn't within the domain of who he was to kill him. Now, we could say... It's because of him being a monk. But that's not necessarily true. Um, at the same time, being a monk was a major part of who he was. So you can't, it's very difficult to separate uh, facets of an individual and the, their psyche and how they were shaped by cultural norms based upon any clear evidence meaning if Aang wasn't a monk would Aang have been Aang obviously not so you know there are major parts of identities that are constructs of our external reality uh, religious beliefs familial upbringing environment uh, things we experience like not many people had an air bison. So. His experience shaped him. And yet I think it's interesting that. As a choice. He did not want to destroy. And that choice. If you've ever watched. The Legend of Korra. Which I think is extraordinarily underrated. Um, you'll see. How that impacts other characters. And. How that variability in. Aang somehow made a derivative version anyway emerges in the Legend of Korra with uh, the first villain who I also thought was the most interesting which was Amon and yeah I'm sidetracking but I did say this is me rambling so let's go with the ramble um, Amon was the most interesting because of his upbringing and basically his upbringing yes they're spoilers so if you 
want to watch the show, you could just skip this portion. Otherwise, keep listening. Anyway, Amon grew up. He was kind-hearted, and he had a great water-bending ability. And he and his brother were raised by their father, who uh, was a criminal, was a career criminal, was powerful in Republic City, and basically had that power revoked by Avatar Aang. And he taught his sons how to bloodbend. And Amon got to such an advanced level in bloodbending that he could revoke an individual's bending. So that's another interesting thing about avatars not everyone is a waterbender not everyone's a firebender earthbender airbender uh there are normal people and amon preyed on the fears of normal people and exploited them to have them create a political party that felt that benders versus non-benders was the principal in- issue and that non-benders were being abused by benders to the point where he created technology for those under his service to defeat benders which is interesting concept itself because in a lot of the more popular stories like in x-men yeah we have our tanks and our stuff we don't really come up with a lot of things to defeat like a mutant like yeah they had a prison for magneto but i mean it's not like they had an entire setup where okay if this mutant can do this we have a weapon for that if this mutant could like they didn't have something established and built whereas i like this notion of okay so they're going to utilize technology and make it adaptable to render their enemies moot or more specifically to equal the playing field so ultimately Amon is exposed um, as obviously a bender but his whole journey particularly with his father and his upbringing and how he perceived the world you see it's very hard to separate his actions from his life and yet he could have made different choices the choices could have been different but because he wasn't a bender but could somehow revoke the power of benders him as a leader of the equalist party slash movement made a definitive point that people do not feel as though the playing field is equal and any leader who says they will equal the playing field could be someone that people gravitate towards but ultimately what is the intention Uh, intent is a big thing and sometimes individuals perceptions of themselves especially when they're grandiose and they're not attached to reality can make them extraordinarily dangerous especially when they ultimately disparage the value of human life in general and 
very specific human lives in particular. That's where we get dictatorships, fascism, and genocide. So I thought his backstory was interesting. So it pretty much seems like I'm rambling about families and people's connections to families. Um, But going off of the non-benders, Sokka obviously was really the only non-bender in the original Avatar group. And yet, as goofy and silly as he was, his strategies, his ideas on what they should do, where they should go, uh, how they should proceed, along with his comic relief, he was an integral part of this group. So... I think it demonstrated that while he didn't have these supernatural abilities, because, you know, for the vast majority of us, any of those abilities is what makes us watch the show or watch the story. Like, wow, this person can manipulate water. Uh, This one can manipulate air. This one can manipulate fire. But, you know, ultimately, some of the best characters or individuals, it's just a matter of their capacity to think and create like if you look at some of the best DC villains uh, like Lex Luthor or the Joker what really makes them interesting as villains is that they don't have a power they're just another person but it's their interaction and perception of the world and and the genius they harness and channel through their madness that makes them um Entertaining to watch and interesting as characters. Obviously, the Joker far more than Lex Luthor, personal opinion. Um, But that's my stance on that. Uh, I don't really have a blow-by-blow episode type thing that I would do. The series is over, but I feel like it's a rich mining area for looking at the structures of societies and civilizations i think it's it's there's a lot of content in the show uh both from a psychological point of view a social kind of point of view uh emotional uh and spiritual as well like when you have the swamp episode and that's going to be from the earth nation chapters of the series and you have the tree and when you touch the tree you can feel the connectedness of everything that everything is one even though it's disparate seems separate and is in a totally unique form ultimately it is one so the discussion within that episode particularly in those particular moments of looking at oneness and also the intimation of the nature of time makes that one of my favorite episodes Um, especially because when Aang said I kept seeing this girl but I did not know her and um, the swamp bender who was guarding this this sacred tree said uh, it could be someone from your past someone from your present or someone from your future and again it goes back to my thing which if you've been listening to me from the beginning 
I went on a whole spiel about time and how while we perceive time linearly, ultimately all times and all realities exist simultaneously. Um, that notion fits into my concept, which I like. Anyway, this is the Thack Daddy. I'm done with this Avatar ramble. Uh, I appreciate your time. And uh, I'll be getting back to you all. Stay safe. Stay well. Try your best to maintain your sanity. And love those around you. And take care of yourself. Peace out.